With the first pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns select. Okay, well, you might not know the answer to that, but that's okay. Because on Thursday, over 5 million people around the country turned their TVs on to watch the NFL Draft. And millions more streamed it live on their computer or they turned on their radio. And it got me thinking, how is it that what is effectively an administrative task, the selecting of rookie football players to go to teams that used to take place in an old hotel ballroom, how has that become one of the biggest and most watched sports and TV events of the year, year after year? Even if you're not a football fan, you've probably by now either read in the newspaper or online or saw a YouTube video about at least one of the picks that happened this year. In fact, one of my favorite stories from this year is about a young man named Shaquem Griffin. You see, Griffin was only four years old when he had his left hand amputated. But he wasn't going to let it stop him. He loved football, and he had a twin brother who loved him and football just as much. And so they began to practice and play together. And despite all odds, they both became high school stars. But when it became time for colleges to start recruiting, there was a lot of concern about how a one-handed man could play football very well. But his brother believed in Shaquem, and so even though there were really big and important schools that were trying to recruit him, he had one rule. I will not go anywhere that does not take my brother with me. And that is how the Griffin brothers ended up at the University of Central Florida. And that is how, at first, Shaquem's twin brother became a star. In fact, became such a star that last year he was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks and started on their team and became a pro football player. But Shaquem, he stayed at Central Florida. He wasn't quite ready. In fact, they weren't sure after his brother left if he should even be there. But he knew he should, and so he began to work harder and harder and practice more and he did so well that he became the conference defensive player of the year. Got invited to the NFL Combine, got invited to the draft, and there he sat for three days. Until on the last day of the draft, he got a phone call. And he went to pick up his phone and he heard these words, we are going to take you next. And it turns out that the team that took him is the same team that took his brother the year before. The Griffin brothers are going to be playing pro football together, and a man with one hand has a chance to make an impact in the NFL. Why do so many people tune in to watch what is effectively an administrative task? It's the same reason we watch The Voice or American Idol or why we dreaded dodgeball and kickball when we were in elementary school. Because deep inside of all of us, what we long for, what we want more than anything is to be chosen. To hear stories about people being chosen despite all their flaws and all their foibles, to know that we are wanted that someone sees in us something that is worthy, that is worth being chosen. 
And in our scripture today, Paul reminds us that we are, in fact, chosen. Not by a sports team or by TV viewers or even by our friends or by our family. No, each of us, you and I, has been chosen by God. In the message translation, it sounds like this. You are no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name as Christian as anyone. The problem is that most of the time in the world in which we live in, being chosen means that someone else is not. As humans, to us, what makes being chosen feel special is that it says that we're in while they're out. And once we are chosen, we have this common tendency to forget. To forget what it's like to have been on the outside. Once we cross the bridge into the inner sanctum, we have a tendency to want to fold it up, close the gate, and start building the moat to keep others out. And in our opening lines of scripture today, Paul reminds us clearly, remember, do not forget, you too were once outsiders. That you are here only because of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. That's the only reason we've been invited in to the family and on to the team. Lest we forget and begin to think that somehow we earned our way here, or we begin to think that others need to earn their way here. We are called to remember that it is only by the grace of God that we are welcomed. And when we forget that, when we start thinking that we have to earn our way, that when we start thinking the invitation is limited to only a small number, that, my friends, is I think when we find ourselves in the world we live in. Because unlike a game of dodgeball or a football team, there is no finite limit on the number of people that are called into God's team. We are not, as much as we forget it, competing against other people to be chosen by God. We are not competing against other people to be chosen by God. And it is so easy to forget this crucial fact because in our world, it feels like all we do is compete to get the best grade or the best spouse or the best job, to be the smartest or the prettiest or the most holy. We compete to get into preschools. We compete to get into colleges and companies and social circles. And our nations compete, and our religions compete, and our powerful leaders compete. And because we live in a world where everything feels so finite, once we get it, we immediately begin to start figuring out how we can keep it and stop others from taking it from us. 
And rather than seeing the people around us then as our family, they become at best our competition or at worst they become our enemies. And so we build walls. We build physical and mental and emotional walls. We build big ones and little ones, ones of brick and concrete and metal. We build them in Berlin and we build them in Israel and we build them in America and China. And we build walls up in our hearts to protect ourselves and to keep people away. And we build them between genders and between races and between neighbors and friends, each one separating us further and further away from each other until somehow we find it acceptable to walk by people who are starving on our streets or to read stories of children that are dying of starvation around the world and feel nothing. We build them up until we can call people horrible names behind their back or bully them so badly in comment sections of the internet that we push them to the very brink of existence and feel nothing. Because we forget. We forget that it is not by building barriers that Jesus Christ brought forth the kingdom of God. It was in breaking them down. At the very moment of his death in the Gospels, we are reminded of this fact in a tangible and physical way when we are told that the curtain in the temple was torn in half. That is, that the barrier that previously separated humans from God has been broken down and torn asunder by the blood of Christ. But not only the barrier between us and God, the barrier between you and me and our friends and our families and our enemies. Where before Jews and Gentiles were on different sides, now they become one. Christ takes the whole of the human family in all its fractured and broken pieces and brings it together to bind it together. He becomes the peace between us, between those who were in and those who were out and those who never even knew there was something to be in. And in him we are reminded of all the things we have in common with one another instead of all the things we think we have that are different. There's an old tale of a woman whose child had died and she was struggling to let go. Her grief had overwhelmed her and she couldn't move a step and so she went to the local wise man and asked him to help her find a way to move on. And he told her to go and find five mustard seeds. That's all. He said, from go to your neighbors and five, find, find five mustard seeds. But here's the deal. None of them can come from a home that have experienced grief and death. And so the woman headed out and she went from neighbor to neighbor and knocked on the door. And as she traveled from house to house and heard story after story, her sense of aloneness in her grief began to subside. 
No house is free from death, she realized. And when she returned to the wise man and he asked if she'd completed her task, she said, no, but I have learned to let go. You see, this is what Paul is trying to convey to us in Ephesians. This common humanity that binds each of us together to remind us that we are all human and that it is only by the grace of Jesus that we can come. That each of us can only thank Jesus for his sacrifice and accept this gift of welcome, but we don't get to set the new rules then for who else is invited. It's not up to us. He tells us that Jesus said about breaking down the old rules, and that doesn't mean that we then get to replace them with ones we think are better. If Christ is our peace, then as followers of Christ, our mission and purpose is also to be peace. And if Christ's mission is to bring people onto his team, into his family, then our mission is, is to bring people into his family and onto his team. But we don't get to decide who's worthy and who makes it. We aren't the one in charge of that. But the mission is so much bigger than just stopping hostility and stopping anger and stopping people from hating each other and God because Christ knows and knew that that is not enough. Because God is always about creating something new. Turning what was once ugly and sad into something that is beautiful and full of joy. And so Paul tells us that not only did Jesus break down the walls between us and God and one another, he then became the cornerstone for a whole new kind of building. One not meant to keep people out, but to draw people in. This is the real church, he says, not a building or a set of programs, but a group of people living in peace with one another and God. We are now the temple of God. And this is who we are called to be, not just people who don't have hostility or don't have hate, but to be people who actively seek to build a new way of life centered on God and his infinite generosity. For far too long, we have allowed the church and ourselves to be defined by what it or we are not. But as builders of the new temple, as the place where the indwelling God resides in you and I in the spirit, we instead should be defined by what the church is called to be. And in Jesus, we are brought into one temple. And instead of many walls, all the pieces that didn't fit together, all the broken parts and the discordant areas, they are put together and built for a larger purpose. Eric Lomax was a British soldier. He was tortured by the Japanese while he was a prisoner of war in World War II. His story, The Railway Man, was a book, and it has been made into a feature film. 
You might have seen it. Mr. Lomax was born in Scotland, and when he was 19, he joined the Royal Corps of Signals, and he was one of thousands of British soldiers who surrendered to the Japanese in Singapore in 1942. He was relocated to Thailand and forced to help build the Burma Railway, also known as the Death Railway. The building of that railroad and the particular brutality involved was portrayed in a movie many of us have probably seen called The Bridge Over the River Kwai. Mr. Lomax was repeatedly beaten and tortured and interrogated by his captors. After it found that he'd made a radio receiver out of spare parts, he had multiple bones broken, he was waterboarded, he had horrible things done to him. And of all the people that hurt him, one of his constant torturers stood out, a man named Nagashi Tasaki, an interpreter. At the end of the war, Mr. Lomax said, I would have been happy to murder him. He describes in his book having fantasies of meeting Mr. Nagasai and killing him for his part in his torture. His search for his torturer began in earnest after he retired in 1982. He was determined to bring him to justice, but he was shocked to learn that following the war, Mr. Nagasai had become an interpreter for the Allies, and he had helped locate thousands of graves and mass burial sites along the Burma Railway to bring people home to families who were looking for lost loved ones. He didn't know what to do with this information. He was still suffering from PTSD and rage and anger, but his wife, she wrote a letter on behalf of her husband to Mr. Nagasai. And she helped arrange a meeting in 1993 between the two men. It took place on the bridge that was, in fact, the inspiration for the bridge on the River Kwai. And when the men finally met, Mr. Lomax had just read an article written about Mr. Nagase being devastated by guilt over his treatment of one particular British soldier. And he learned that he, in fact, was that soldier. He said one day, when we met, Nagase greeted me with a formal bow. I took his hand in Japanese and said, good morning, how are you? And he was trembling and crying, and he said over and over again, I am so sorry, I am so very sorry. Mr. Lomax continued, I had come with no sympathy for this man. And yet, through his complete humility, he turned this around. And in the days that followed, we spent a lot of time together talking and laughing. And he added, we promised to keep in touch. And we have remained friends ever since. This is the peace of Christ in the world. Not just to stop hostility and pain and brokenness, but to grow something new in its midst. To be able to draw together pieces that otherwise would never fit in our minds. To release hatred and fears so that the indwelling spirit of God 
may be present in our world. The last pick of the NFL draft every year gets a special title. They call him Mr. Irrelevant. And see, there's the difference between us and God. Because there is no one who is irrelevant in the kingdom. Each person, you and me and every one of us, matters to God immensely and has a role in his family and his story. Not as wall builders and gatekeepers, but as wall breakers and temple hosts. People who are invited to share the gift that we have been given with all those that we encounter. What a gift it is to be drafted and grafted into the family of God. Amen.